Hello, and welcome to the EPC podcast, where we delve deeper into EU affairs and connect the dots between politics, policies, and people. My name is Rebecca Gustermans, and I'm the head of communications at the European Policy Center. On the occasion of European Mobility Week, our own Annika Hedberg and Stefan Sipka talked to Vice President Liliana Pavlova of the European Investment Bank, the lending arm of the European Union, about the future of green mobility in Europe and the Union's efforts to decarbonize transport in light of the EU Green Deal. They discussed how making and encouraging the right investment decisions can drive the climate-neutral transformation of transport, the different actions the EU and the EIB specifically have already undertaken and what more could and should be done, and the unexpected ways the corona crisis has affected mobility on European roads. Annika Hedberg is Senior Policy Analyst and Head of the Sustainable Prosperity for Europe program at the European Policy Center, and Stefan Sipka is a Policy Analyst at the EPC. Starting from the basics, uh, Ms. Pavlova, why actually, in your view, why uh, greening the mobility system actually matters specifically for the EU to reach its uh, high level objective, namely its climate neutrality goals? And also linked to this question is also the question of the state of play with transport related emissions today in the EU. And um, given the baseline and the ambitions we have, we, uh, uh, what are actually the bases, what are the pillars for this green, sustainable and zero emission transport, including specific sectors like urban transport and so forth. So, Paolo, what is your, in a nutshell, what is your take? Uh, good morning, first of all. I'm really glad to, to, to join the European uh, uh, Mobility Week uh, 2020. I think it's really a very, very important, challenging moment for, for all of us. It's really the, the right momentum for for important and uh, crucial decisions ahead of us. Uh, well, indeed, transport is in in the heart of the of the economic uh, development and and social interaction. And at the same time, uh, transport is one of the the largest emitting sectors uh, responsible for uh, almost a fourth of uh, the total CO2 emissions um, uh, from fossil fuels and really lags behind uh, other sectors in climate investments. Uh, so it is, it is really the, the only sector uh, where emissions have continued to rise. In fact, it's 28% rise between the period of 1990 and 2018, which really highlights the urgent need to foster carbon neutrality uh, and uh, really carbon neutral transport solutions, uh, which we all need now. Climate change and uh, its uh, related environmental effects, such floods, uh, droughts, um, heat waves, really, uh, really they are they are one of the most urgent threats uh, for for the well-being of all of us. So uh, if we uh, if we really uh, follow the, the strictly the, the Paris the Paris Agreement, uh, aiming at uh, keeping uh, the, the global warming at 1.5 degree as, as a threshold, it is really essential to keep uh, to achieve the, the carbon neutrality by 2050, which is quite a significant challenge, 
especially for the for the transport sector itself because over 70% of the transport related CO2 emissions are coming from the road sector and at the same time we know that 75% of uh, of the of the transport in Europe is uh, is done by roads so it's really a very a very a very complicated uh, uh, task, task, and, uh, and um, uh, really exercise for, for us to, to overcome. So the, the take up of the alternative uh, fuels so far has been low. Even if the market penetration of alternative cars, I mean alternative fuel cars, have almost doubled. If we compare it to uh, 20, uh, 2018 to 2019, the the number doubled, but still it's only less than even 6%. So uh, we see that uh, even, even we are doing in the right direction, we, we are going in the right direction, we are far away from where we have to be. So, so the, the challenge in the, in the mobility sector is particularly large. The, the, the carbonization part for the transport sector is, however, achievable. I'm really an optimist there, but still, more needs to be done and uh, really a sustained increase in, in investments in, uh, in zero and low carbon mobility is needed and we all have to, to, com to combine all our efforts there in order to achieve those, those targets. And this includes not only investments in the, in the regular, in the, in, the, in the basic, in the normal uh, infrastructure, but it's, uh, this also means that we need to invest more in uh, cleaner mobile assets, in supporting infrastructure, and also in, uh, in, uh, in digitalization, in intermobile mobile hubs, in recharging infrastructure. Because the, 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 the European green transformation investment gap in transport is estimated to be over 100 billion euro per year. And this is on the top to the to the to the investment gap in transport, which is uh, for for the for the regular for the mobility needed in Europe. So this is a significant financing gap. Only by combining the different investment sources, European Union funding, um, private financing, and then our support, only by blending all the different resources, uh, this is the only possible way to to achieve this uh, this target. So. Really, this transformation is a vital part of the sustainable development and, and um, can be combined with uh, really, uh, can, can be achieved only with, if we combine all our, uh, all our funding resources on our side. And at the same time, once we are doing this, I think the, the benefits such as improved air quality, as improved health, a greater energy security and more efficient resources uh, use, uh, will be there for, for all of us here and the competitiveness of Europe definitely will rise. Thank you. And Ms. Hedberg, if you, do you have any additional thoughts or reflections to share on this, let's say, starting more general topic? And more specifically, uh, uh, Ms. Paolo mentioned also uh, um, uh, road transport. Do you have any uh, also additional thoughts on this uh, subsector, so namely the possibilities and challenges related to uh, road transport and reducing pertinent emissions as a way to support zero emission mobility? 
maybe I could just say that uh, on top of what was already mentioned, um, it's worth to keep in mind that cleaning the mobility system matters not just for the climate, but it really does matter for people, society and, and our economy. And on top of the CO2 emissions, it's good to keep in mind that especially road transport, is also a significant source of uh, nitrogen oxides and particulate matter. Uh, more than 30% of nitrogen oxide emissions in the EU come from the road transport. And thus, transport is a significant contributor to poor air quality and as such contributes to Europeans' burden of disease. It's quite notable that one-eighth of the deaths of Europeans are attributable to environmental pollution, according to a new report by the European Environment Agency. Roads are also the main source of environmental noise, uh, with 20% of the EU population exposed to traffic noise levels that are harmful to health. So it's really, this is a societal challenge that we need to address. When we talk about the basis for green, sustainable, zero emission transport, I really would like to stress the need for electrification, for solutions like hydrogen-based solutions to green road transport. But we also should be looking at how we can improve logistics and make transport overall more efficient. When again, when we're talking about improving mobility, here I would really like to stress the role for well-designed cities and urban areas. They can really do a lot to provide more opportunities for people to walk, cycle, enable them to use public transport for commuting. Cities can play a significant role on even enforcing speed limits, driving bans for this aim. Cities play an no important, extremely important role in enabling multimodal transport, developing um, infrastructure for electromobility, etc. And what happens in cities is, in principle, key to enabling behavioral change, which is very much needed if we are to achieve a lasting change to how we move. When it comes to some of the challenges related to reducing road transport emissions, maybe what I could pick on is that changing how people move and developing the needed infrastructure, especially, and, uh, especially for electric cars, will take decades. Unfortunate reality is that the industry and the EU member states have really done their share to slow down this process. For decades, we've been supporting development and uptake of vehicles that drive on combustion engines, on diesel, and our industry has betted on old technologies and have been very strong advocates for keeping the status quo. And even if there's some kind of a changing rhetoric now, the vehicles on European roads won't be changed overnight. Germany, which in many ways is leading um, in electrification, um, states that by 2030, they hope to have 20% of electric cars on the roads. 20% is very good, but it's very it's far from what is needed if we are to reduce emissions drastically. And the reality is that most of the EU comes far behind this goal. So it's Good to keep in mind that the long um, the, we have a long um, long road ahead. The challenges uh, across the EU are significant. While countries like Germany or Netherlands may be going for electrification, the reality is that a lot of the old cars will won't just miraculously disappear, but they're likely to move, for example, to Eastern Europe. So this really does mean that much of the vehicles that are being 
bought today will still be on our roads in a decade's time. So this change really won't happen overnight. Another challenge I would like to mention is that we hear a lot of calls for shifting from road to rail. This sounds really good in rhetoric, um, however, it's easier said than done. First of all, member states have not shown real interest in enhancing needed cooperation and infrastructure for this shift to rail. And while we may be able to increase capacity for passengers a bit on the rail, the prospects for moving goods from road to rail is made extra difficult as it would require new rail tracks for freight and national rail operators would need to become much more efficient, flexible and service-minded for rail to become a real attractive option for businesses. And Ms. Paulova, how has the EU supported zero emission mobility in general and how has uh, EU supported um, uh, these efforts in reducing and greening transport uh, so far? What is your take on this? It's indeed, I should say that EU in, in general, of course, all, uh, all of us, we, uh, we have been uh, fully committed in, in greening the, the transport sector. Uh, starting in 2011 with uh, with the uh, white trans uh, white paper on transport, also the EIB's uh, uh, transport lending policy was uh, uh, was adopted. The, the new at that time new transport lending policy uh, uh, was uh, was adopted at that time. Also then in 2016, uh, um, the low emissions mobility strategy have already set up really the, the directions to put the transport sector on the right track. However, we are uh, moving forward far too slowly. Uh, the, the communication of, of the, on the European Green Deal, which was announced by, by, the, by the European Commission, uh, is, is really very clear and set a very uh, clear and ambitious targets a strategy for sustainable and smart mobility, which should be adopted uh, by the end of this year. And here we see the, the clear objective that, uh, that we have to deliver, we all have to deliver a 90% reduction in transport-related uh, greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 to support the, the, the EU aims, aims to, to, to become the, the first climate-neutral uh, con continent. 90% reduction. It is. It is really. It is really a, a very, very ambitious target. So we have to to unite all our efforts and, and, and means to to achieve this highly ambitious target. So the strategy which we are all looking forward uh, will really set the the pathway for the sector on on how to to, to master this uh, this uh, green and digital and green and digital transition because it's, it it really goes uh, goes goes together but at the same time we have to to ensure that this transition and mobility uh, is really fair it's uh, it's accessible it's affordable and it's really uh, it's really attractive we at, uh, the, at, the, at the European Investment Bank are also preparing ourselves to start uh, a, com a complete revision of our transport lending, lending policy, which will be aligned with the new Commission strategy, which we are expecting by the end of the year, together with other our operation, which would be Paris aligned as the first of uh, the January next year. 
yeah, in order to ensure that all our, all, all investments are are really following the the pathway which which uh, which we have ahead of us. So I think that all European institutions are taking the necessary steps that we all must uh, undertake. And I say must because uh, unless we act together immediately and swiftly, this is the only way, in fact, to ensure a sustainable uh, uh, transition to, to net zero uh, uh, emissions economy, including, including this uh, transformation of, uh, of the transport systems. So uh, really the, uh, the, aware, the awareness rising, raising at local level is really crucial. And uh, so really campaigns like this and, and uh, to, to, to explore and to, to discuss and really uh, mobi EU Mobility Weeks provides a great opportunity for, for, for all of us to discuss, to outline the challenges, to see where we are and really uh, to, to enhance and to, to accelerate the, the implementation whenever needed and to uh, really because this is a kind of a behavior uh, shift towards this sustainable so it, it should start from, from us, from all of us together. I would like to zoom in a bit on this, uh, so we know that the EIP's uh, uh, a greater focus is now on climate action, and I would uh, like to to know if you can if you have any additional reflections to share when it comes to EIB's um, climate action measures. How did this greater focus on climate action uh, uh, guide your uh, financing approach when it comes to mobility? Uh, yes, indeed. In fact, uh, EIB is the EU, EU's climate bank for a long time. Since 2012, the EIB uh, provided uh, more than 150 billion to finance and really supporting uh, investment of, uh, of uh, projects that reduce emissions, that help countries uh, adopting uh, really climate change and addressing different environmental challenges and issues. So more than uh, more than uh, uh, 550 billion uh, euro of investments in those kind of projects were financed uh, all over the, uh, the uh, Europe and, and out of Europe as well. This really made, uh, makes us uh, one of the uh, world's uh, largest multilateral providers of uh, climate uh, finance. Uh, supporting different objectives and uh, on an annual basis 25% of all our activities are dedicated to climate. But uh, since last year when we uh, decided really uh, to, to become even more ambitious in, uh, in being the, the EU's climate bank, uh, now we are changing these ambitions of uh, focusing 50% of, uh, of, our, of our activities dedicated to climate and environmental uh, actions which would really uh, facilitate and accelerate and support all different investments uh, related to climate and in environment. So uh, really historically, as I said, bank has supported different large-scale uh, clean investments uh, in, in railway sector, in uh, urban uh, public sector, uh, projects like development of metro and uh, tramways uh, projects, uh, uh, in, uh, in, the, in the different cities, also projects related to, to alternative fuels. Only if we compare our investments, uh, uh, our investments, for example, in low car, lower carbon transport, 
Only for one year, uh, we increased uh, our investment in lower carbon transport with 30%. So in, uh, uh, if we compare 2018 to 2019, for example, already 30% already increase. And this is still our ambition to increase more and more invest investment in the sector. But the other important part of our investments are related not only to infrastructure and related to, to different um, transport means and fleets, are also uh, our support to, to development of new technologies to decarbonize transport. Uh, and uh, we have established, uh, we had this uh, so-called clean transport facility, which was launched already uh, in, in the end of 2016. Uh, so, and uh, I think this is this is the other path we are following in order to support uh, really the, the development of new technologies to decarbonize transport. Uh, so, uh, really, the blending the different instruments and supporting different uh, different means. This is this is this is the best way to to, to continue all our efforts. The other the other important instruments maybe worth mentioning uh, is um, is the 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 SEV debt instrument connecting Europe facility debt instrument which we are using to to support and to, to provide uh, additional financial support for future mobility projects also which are in the form of senior debt whenever needed or. Uh, quasi-equity structure really to, to help transition for total low carbon future uh, technologies, etc. Uh, as I said, our as, as of last year, we decided to really to to make a quantum leap in our in our ambitions, really uh, uh, becoming a hundred percent climate bank. As I said, all our operation and investments as of next year will be hundred percent Paris aligned on one side. And as of uh, last year, we have decided to phase out uh, a financing, uh, financing uh, energy project reliant on uh, fossil fuels and really launching really a very ambitious climate investment uh, roadmap for any public, uh, which uh, for any for any investments uh, uh, ahead of us. So uh, it is it is again in line with with our ambitions to support. Uh, EU's, EU's goal to become the first uh, carbon neutral continent by, by 2050. Thank you, Ms. Paula. And indeed, uh, a notable track record already and a considerable amount of effort and funds invested uh, so far. But then uh, uh, just to ask you, uh, looking ahead, uh, in your view, how can EU's uh, public investments further support the transition towards the zero emission mobility? And um, when we look at what has what is planned so far, what has been envisaged, are these envisaged investments sufficient? And how to how do you actually how to ensure how to use available funds in the most efficient and effective way? In your view, uh, well, uh, I should say that there are um, technical operational and financial barriers for to the to, to, to real transition towards uh, zero zero emission mobility uh, technical and operational barriers uh, can be overcome by by offering and providing uh, technical assistance and advisory uh, support uh, to, to, to the different project promoters uh, to to all stakeholders and this is what uh, what uh, what in reality we believe uh, all need in that in this transitional process. 
And, and this is something which, uh, which EAB is already doing. Uh, already, already last year and this year, more than 20% of, uh, of our assignments, of, of the assignments of our European Investment Advisory Hub are dedicated to, to provide uh, advisory support to our, to our promoters dedicated to transport, to transport-related um, mobility projects. Uh, including support for alternative fuels, charging stations, etc. So uh, there are there are many many uh, many examples of such uh, of such specific assignments which help promoters uh, really uh, uh, how how to better invest uh, because as I said funds availability. Uh, 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 if we are if we if we combine the, the European grant funding. Public and private sources, banking sector, uh, and uh, and national and national governments and local governments resources. We can we can we can we can have a certain amount of funds, but it's really important, as you said, to to make best use of the funds and to make the funds most more more efficient. So this is the the main challenge, but at the same time the main the main tasks of uh, of our experts of our advisory teams and uh, of our support really to to really to to provide the best expertise on how on how to use the the funds so we have excellent examples for example uh in, in supporting public transport operators in flanders uh, in belgium uh, in lithuania in clapeda uh supporting promoters to to improve uh, and to greener the trans the, the transport system trams and bus system for example in lithuania so, so there are many examples in that area. So I believe this is this is the the way forward. Speaking on financial barriers, uh, the the uh, the transition will require um, more accompanying measures. Uh, for example, uh, through through the cleaner transport facility, European Investment Bank, together with the European Commission, we we were supporting the the rollout of. Um, of the cleaner public transport fleets, electric charging networks, etc. So uh, also there are there are different uh, examples like in, in many cities in Netherlands, Spain, France, and many other countries, uh, like uh, also in uh, in Poland, in uh, in Italy, all over Europe. So these kind of facilities uh, where we we are providing kind of blended. Blending funding is are an excellent example. Uh, connecting Europe facility blending uh, uh, blending instrument uh, really provides provides great opportunity for for this kind of investment. Uh, there was a, a new specially dedicated window under the connecting Europe uh, facility blending, uh, which uh, was a special call to finance uh, uh, the bridge investment fa uh, barrier. For the implementation of the new technologies, which uh, really uh, show that there is a uh, there is a strong demand by the different promoters all over Europe, this is another opportunity which we believe uh, we are providing. The other uh, the other interesting opportunity is the deployment of um, charging infrastructure, because we believe that uh, a key enabler of, uh, of cleaner transport. Is really providing and deployment of uh, of charging infrastructure. If we look at EU, EU Green Deal uh, ambitions, 
we see there are like 1 million public charging points across Europe by 2025. So it is really an ambitious goal ahead of us, and the European Investment Bank is really there to help our, our partners in that process. So we are providing uh, specially dedicating facilities uh, in that respect in order to to help uh, to help re uh, achieving that ambitious goal of one million public charging uh, charging points, which is which is rather an serious and ambitious target to reach. And also, last but not least, uh, R and D investments uh, to green the automotive sector, including alternative fuels. Uh, and um, uh, also uh, powertrain development and uh, any other circular economy investments are needed. So this is the other area where uh, providing financing is, is needed and also if it's there for, to support and to provide uh, additional funding whenever it's needed. Ms. Hedberg, then uh, uh, do you have any, do you have any additional thoughts to share? On, on this topic, so on, on the future investments that are needed to reach our uh, climate neutrality targets, it would be uh, great if you could share any additional insights. But uh, I have an additional question for you. Uh, so we so far we talked about uh, reaching climate neutrality targets uh, in particular, but we also know that there are other ambitions that the EU has other priorities as well, such as reaching a more resilient and competitive economy and uh, just transition. And uh, arguably, it's important to align these different efforts, and uh, in, including also, of course, investment efforts. Uh, so uh, I wanted to also ask you how to, in your view, how to uh, align these different priorities and pertinent investments, and are there, uh, specifically, are there synergies and are there also trade-offs to bear in mind in this process? I'll, maybe I'll start with just saying that um, the basis, obviously, for a lot of the investment comes also from the policy framework we have. And as the European Commission works on its proposal for smart and sustainable mobility and zero pollution, one should expect serious reflection on how we can accelerate efforts to improve air quality and reduce emissions permanently. The set policy framework will provide guidance for public and private investment. And as this work continues, we really should be seeing much more push for system-wide thinking and integrated policies on urban transport and mobility. And these should be translated in investment decisions. The aim really should be to create multiple benefits for our society and economy. And this is not just about reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but also about improving air quality, reducing noise pollution, increasing the availability of green spaces, spaces and encouraging people to cycle and walk, which all can contribute to people's well-being and ultimately even contribute to increasing productivity, reducing healthcare costs and thus help increase also EU's GDP. So I really wanted to get this across, that it's essential that we get the basis right as well. When it comes to EU budget, MFF um, recovery, it's not even so much about how much money is being made available for improving transport and mobility, but really how the money is spent and what kind of projects will be supported. And it's also worth to recognise that national and subnational support and investments have a key role to play in enhancing sustainable mobility. And taking the fact that we're seeing enormous recovery efforts um, and a lot of public money being made available at the moment, we really should be quite strict on 
getting that message across that any public support for the transport sector as part of the ongoing recovery efforts should be conditioned to industry investing in cleaner and more sustainable mobility. In addition to what we want, we should be very clear about what we don't want. We should not be seeing taxpayers' money poured into supporting fossil fuels, rescuing airlines with no conditions attached, expanding airports or motorways, or getting people and businesses buying new fossil fuel powered cars or trucks with the help of scrappage schemes. It's really the challenges we face and the goals we've set for ourselves are so big, as well as is the amount of public money that is currently being made available for businesses. So we really should cherish the moment and use this occasion to invest not in the past, but in the future, in those solutions that we want in those products, services, in a system that we know will be competitive in the long term and uh, will deliver the societal and economic benefits that we so desperately need. When it comes to some of the other challenges, uh, trade-off um, synergies with other priorities, maybe I've just mentioned that the good intentions we have, they do not always automatically lead to wanted results. For example, automated driving could result in increased congestion. Car sharing can increase risks for use of vehicles. Powering electric vehicles with fossil fuels and encouraging unsustainable use of materials for batteries are all examples of unwanted consequences that we really must proactively aim to avoid. And when we talk about just transition, this really matters also in the mobility sector. And it's not just about the transition, um, as is the case with the coal industry, in supporting the industry in the transition. It's also about supporting the people in this transition. Poorer people are often disproportionately exposed to air pollution. They are often more reliant on affordable transport solutions. These are the people, the poorer people, the more vulnerable people, they will not be the first ones to go and buy new electric vehicles. So we need to keep more actively in mind their circumstances and incentivize and enable them to participate in the transition if we want this to be a success. And um, obviously, as part of this, for example, improving and expanding um, public transport in urban areas will be a key for um, achieving sustainable mobility. Thank you, Ms. Hedberg, and thank you for ref uh, your reflections on, on uh, the importance of aligning different priorities and investments. Um, I wanted to just uh, uh, touch upon one specific policy strand and specific, uh, uh, more specifically for the mobility. There's been a lot of talk about intelligent transport systems and also certain measures have been taken. Uh, and this is also linked to digital transition. Uh, Ms. Paolo, you already referred uh, briefly to, uh, to the digital transformation. And I just wanted uh, uh, to ask you when it comes to investments in intelligent transport systems, how can these investments into intelligent transport systems support uh, a zero emission uh, uh, mobility? Can, can they support a zero emission mobility and how can this uh, be achieved? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, in, in fact, really, uh, the transport sector is experiencing uh, a new technological revolution. 
with uh, with important behavior implications. So so really, uh, technological changes can 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 contribute to sustainable mobility uh, and in in and in particular to to transport decarbonization. Uh, of course, they they should be considered uh, under a really a holistic and uh, in a multimodal approach. So, so really, digitalization is uh, is the most uh, is among the, the the most important and really uh, most promising changes uh, in the near future that really uh, has has really the great potential to to improve the efficiency uh, and uh, and really the digitalization of of, uh, of the transport facilitates uh, really large information flows on one hand. Uh, collected data uh, provides better knowledge of the mobility patterns and uh, and allows um, the improvement in the, in the level of services provided by the different operators. Uh, on the other hand, it uh, it enables really uh, providing uh, uh, providing real time data uh, in order to 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 improve the decision making process and to to optimize uh, solutions choices and standards it also it also enables uh, real time pricing of mobility prices which is also a very very important uh, tool and uh, which is really in high demand so uh, in fact uh, in a, uh, intelligent transport system uh, they they could allow a really a so-called internal internalization of external costs of road traffic, like tailored insurance costs uh, or parking fees, uh, differentiation between the peak and off-peak fares in uh, in public transport. Uh, so so these are really the the benefits of uh, of this. Uh, also, uh, digitalization can enable uh, really a more efficient uh, management and use of assets, uh, and specifically in the urban context, they they really may uh, may help and may uh, may uh, may really provide significant support in our ambition to to reduce so-called uh, single uh, single occupancy uh, of the private car use. Uh, which is which is the other uh, we other with the other challenge we are all facing uh, facing in, uh, in in urban areas. Uh, so uh, on the other hand, the the the, the increased uh, number of connecting devices and use of smartphones really have uh, paved uh, the way to to different uh, new new business models and uh, in all sectors, including transport. Uh, because now, uh, using the different technologies and uh, and uh, and uh, smart, using smartphones, different applications, in fact, we can uh, we can analyze and uh, and um, use the, the travel data, uh, the travel behavior data, and uh, really the development of uh, shared mobility services is 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 really important services like micro mobility car sharing ride sharing you know, excellent uh, tools and application so now the emergence of um, you know, mobility as a service mass concept uh, for for making booking and paying for for transport services is really see a more simpler and it's really quicker uh, ways uh, which enables really and uh, makes it uh, makes our lives easier for, for journeys uh, across different modes. So 
really the uh, technologies are, are really crucial and important for 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 mobility sector so technological uh, development is clearly the the enabler for for, for transition uh, uh, of, the, of the transport sector uh, of course uh, the costs and really the constraints uh, in the in the large scale uh, technological deployment are still a challenge international financial institutions or donors are should should be there to support and to provide uh, uh, necessary necessary support in order to facilitate that process and to intensify that process in, and incentivize as well in order uh, to have it uh, to have it widespread. Thank you, Ms. Paulova. And uh, yeah, indeed, it appears that there are significant opportunities with modern technologies and uh, that uh, intelligent transport systems and namely digital solutions can indeed serve as an enabler for a zero emission mobility. And uh, Ms. Hedberg, any additional uh, reflections uh, you would um, care to share? I could add that we've been working extensively at EPC in looking at how digitalization can support green transition, including in transport and mobility. And indeed, the possibilities are enormous. Several digital solutions from applications to platforms already help to enable multimodal mobility can, and can play a key role in encouraging people to use more sustainable forms of uh, transport. Uh, as mentioned, mobility as service platforms is a really good example of this. Also, when it comes to vehicles, we have sensors, cameras, IOTs. IOT already helps, um, are being used to help generate huge amounts of data and make road transport more sustainable. One good example um, are sensor systems for tires that can help to avoid overheating and thus tire damage. But while these developments are happening and are, we see transport becoming more and more digitalized and mobility becoming more digitalized, and it would be really good to keep, to keep in mind that we don't want digitalization for the sake of digitalization. We want to benefit from digitalization as a tool to meet our sustainability goals and to address the ultimate challenges that we face. And in this digitalization, and how digitalization is being used. It needs to be guided and steered in the direction we want. I would like to now just uh, uh, briefly zoom in uh, to urban transport and the need to achieve a sustainable urban transport, because it appears that this is a, a major opportunity to actually achieve zero emission mobility. But I would like to then um, hear if uh, uh, Ms. Pablo would have uh, some uh, some reflections to share on this topic. So, uh, in your view, what the role should sustainable urban transport play in moving towards a greener transport system? And what are the related challenges when it comes to greening urban transport in particular? And then, of course, how could EU investments help overcome these challenges regarding greening uh, urban transport? Well, indeed, uh, urban areas need uh, our special attention. Uh, uh, as we all know, that uh, urban areas uh, really concentrate more than 70% of the European population. Uh, at the same time, they, they do generate uh, more than 85% of the EU's G GDP. And uh, the, the uh, cities being centers of knowledge, innovation, specialization of uh, products and services, uh, and really contributing to, to, to the strongest urban GDP growth, 
which is really the, the positive impact of that on one side. However, the, the city's growth really to, to a certain level now, for some years already, started to produce negative impacts, overcrowding, congestions, pollution. So uh, we can say that uh, uh, also cities uh, all over the world uh, produce more than uh, more than seventy percent of the of the global uh, greenhouse emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. So uh, really, congestions in uh, in urban areas continues to rise. Uh, time losses uh, from traffic congestions are estimated to cost the equivalent of uh, 2% of Europe's GDP, which is which is a huge number. So, so I think that uh, indeed the, the city, the European city specifically, are in the front line of the challenges, and the uh, and uh, we are therefore really sustainable urban mobility being part of those those challenges. Uh, really is uh, has a, has an important role, and this is uh, that is why we need to uh, to concentrate our efforts for uh, to, to for a sustainable and green and uh, urban mobility in order to provide and to ensure competitiveness of our cities, economic growth, and social welfare, of course, of, of the citizens. So, uh, so really, the challenge we have ahead of us is uh, how to achieve um, efficient urban transport systems, uh, and at the same time, uh, including and uh, uh, providing uh, and uh, really to, to uh, incentivize really a, a switch to uh, and shift from cars to public transport, walking, cycling. Uh, really, travel behaviors, uh, they are changing, and uh, COVID crisis enabled this change. Uh, but uh, uh, really, we, we, uh, there is still a lot to be done in that, in that perspective. Some recent travel surveys uh, show that uh, the car use and the car ownership is less uh, prevalent in younger generation than in the past, which is a very new, very interesting trend we, we see. Even even uh, holding a driving license in younger generation is not 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 such a such a high priority than it was uh, some some years, some decades ago. Uh, so uh, uh, so we are really having a, a, a generation of opportunity now to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And really to meet all the, the new challenges, and uh, really to to find this uh, to find this opportunity, and to find uh, and really to the best use of, of, of the challenges, and to to provide best solutions in urban transport infrastructure, uh, and uh, by of course by by providing urgent uh, uh, urgent financing in uh, in developing. Uh, uh, urban transport uh, infrastructure in a way that it provides really excellent uh, opportunities for for all. I think this is uh, this is uh, this is the best way that we all can uh, can support all different promoters which have to cope with with financial and, and, and uh, technical operational and climate challenges uh, really to, uh, to to overcome the circumstances. Thank you, Ms. Paula. And uh, yes, uh, despite certain progress being made, there are still enormous challenges in urban transport and that have to be addressed uh, 
as quickly as possible if we wish to, to achieve our high-level ambitions. Miss um, Hedberg, any, uh, any additional remarks? I, I would just like to say that um, it is fantastic to see the EIB's support for making urban public transport infrastructure more sustainable. It's, this is certainly welcome and needed. Improving public transport is often seen as a local competence, but the reality is that cities are facing enormous pressure to provide safe mobility solutions, and many undoubtedly would benefit and do benefit from, um, from investments that uh, allow them to develop the solutions. And arguably, uh, we hopefully will see in the future um, even more grants and loans that will allow cities to develop, develop safe cycling infrastructure, widen their food paths, and, um, and uh, to provide safe mobility solutions. Especially now, as the corona crisis uh, is on, a lot of cities are in desperate need of additional financing to make more sustainable mobility solutions reality. Thank you, Ms. Hedberg. And uh, um, last but not the least, we are facing a major crisis, a corona crisis, and uh, we are yet to, to witness the full impacts of this crisis on our economy and society. And the crisis is apparently, it's evident that it is also affecting our urban mobility sector, whether it's public transport, cycling trends, or private car usage. But uh, Ms. Hedberg, then uh, if we, if we uh, consider the impacts of the crisis on our uh, ambitions to ambitious ambitions to achieve zero emission mobility what would be your take on on these what are the challenges and possibilities that actually the the current situation creates for achieving zero emission mobility and especially when it comes to reducing and greening uh, uh, the road transport i would like to make three points first Obviously, the corona crisis and the containment measures we've seen, this has had significant impacts on mobility. Remote working, less traveling for work, this has already contributed to a drastic, although temporary, uh, reduction in transport-related emissions. And many cities have used this occasion to accelerate transition to a more sustainable mobility. If this will lead to structural changes, this can have extremely big and positive impacts for climate and let's hope indeed this would lead to some um, lasting changes. However, the transition to sustainable mobility is not given. In fact, what we're seeing is that many people are afraid to use public transport because of COVID-19 and if this leads to more people buying and jumping into their cars, this will ultimately undermine the ongoing efforts. And thus, we really do need to have a comprehensive approach to encouraging sustainable mobility and try to provide public transport um, with uh, close to full capacity, even if there are less people traveling, um, are examples that have been taken in cities and are good examples on trying to encourage and uh, support people still jumping into, the, in, into public transport, even in the times of crisis. Second, I would just like to say that the COVID crisis has increased realization how much impact our normal activities have on climate and on environment and thus on people's health. For example, many people got to enjoy the drop in noise levels, got to benefit, um, got the benefits of cleaner air as air pollution, for example, from transport uh, came down 
temporarily due to lockdown measures. And it has been estimated that in some cities, air pollutant concentration topped by 70%, 70%. While these reductions um, have been temporary, uh, they surely raise serious questions about the sustainability of our current economic model, including how we move. So let's hope this debate will continue. As a third point, I would like to raise that taking, and this is kind of uh, the elephant in the room that no one really is talking about, but taking that most people vulnerable to COVID-19 appear to be those with pre-existing conditions, with chronic diseases, we should be promoting healthy promotions like never before as our best defense against corona. And if we take public health promotion and disease prevention seriously, this should have direct implications on mobility. We should aim to address the underlying risk factors for preventable diseases, including unhealthy lifestyles like physical inactivity. Moreover, we should be studying further the link between air pollution and the spread of coronavirus. There are studies that seem to suggest that regions with higher levels of air pollution seem to have higher COVID-19 mortality rates. There's also a hypothesis that uh, researchers are investigating that fine particle pollution may carry the virus via air. We surely need more research on this, but even so, these initial results and the known fact that people with chronic diseases, with respiratory diseases, often as a result of air pollution, these, the recognition that there are linkages should provide a strong rationale for us to try to reduce and aim to keep air pollution levels down. Uh, Ms. Paolova, any uh, additional thoughts you uh, would like to share on this topic on on how does corona crisis relate to our uh, uh, ongoing and future efforts uh, of achieving a zero emission mobility especially in the urban mobility sector yes indeed well, uh, i fully share what uh, what was said but uh, uh, maybe firstly uh, i should start by saying that uh, i uh, we should acknowledge uh, the, really the significant efforts made, made by cities, by public transport authorities, by the public transport operators and all working really there in the sector, who, who really managed very rapidly uh, to react to, to, to the pandemic and to put, to put forward uh, solutions in order to, to provide uh, safe, uh, safe mobility solutions. Uh, because uh, uh, quick investments and uh, some pop-up bicycle lines appeared, cities and, pa and uh, tra public, uh, public transport authorities provided uh, uh, the necessary transport solutions for essential workers during, during the peak of the pandemic. Uh, and there, there were different measures undertaken, including uh, very strict uh, cleaning and disinfection protocols, uh, Mm, special tools using uh, real-time data for, for public transport users uh, uh, for to, to ensure safety and security for all. So these are just few examples, but we really we really need to to, to acknowledge all, all efforts of all engaged in that in that process during during the the the, the months of, of the crisis uh, where we all which we all faced. 
So, uh, in, the, uh, in fact, really, this, the, the unprecedented uh, outbreak of COVID pandemic uh, has turned our lives uh, upside down. Uh, and uh, uh, unfortunately, the transport sector uh, is one of the sectors which was uh, most severely affected by the pandemic, together with the tourism sector and services sector, but indeed the transport sector was really one of the sectors mostly hit by, by the pandemic. Uh, and we, we still we we have to to, to monitor the, the long term effects because they are still unpredictable. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I think that uh, uh, nevertheless the disruption and the, the the impact on the on the economy, I think uh, the crisis uh, give uh, gives us a unique opportunity, unique opportunity to transform all sectors and specifically in the, because today we are discussing transport in particular to transform the transport sector and uh, uh, so of course urban transport uh, uh, as well as a part of the transport sector not only to meet our climate goal but to make our lives uh, uh, different and, uh, and then it is really important that we should not allow ourselves to let to, and we should not allow account to be to be led by inertia uh, uh, to bring us back to those times before crisis, but really to use this unique opportunity and to change our lives uh, uh, completely because we have we see already the results. Citizens turned to cycling and other forms of flight and active uh, flight mobility. So it is already an opportunity. We need to build up. We need to ensure that uh, this uh, this is enabled by cities with support of all uh, of all of us, and uh, we we need to to ensure that this is a sustainable solution. So investments in in a sustainable lighter mobility uh, and uh, improving the uh, really the, the the transport solutions, especially in urban areas, are really uh, incentivize uh, more and more and uh, really uh, all, all necessary efforts and financing should be provided as soon as possible with, without any delay in order to, to ensure that we don't lose the momentum which we, we are all facing. So once again, I have to reconfirm our full commitment that the European Investment Bank, we are, we are there to support all those investments in regular infrastructure, but also in digitalization, in investing in new technology, in uh, introducing and supporting uh, uh, development of, of green, uh, green mobility and uh, supporting development of, uh, of uh, our, our transport uh, systems in a way that really uh, preserves and provides better quality of our life. Thank you to Annika, Stefan, and of course to Vice President Pavlova for their time and contributions to the podcast. If you want to know more about our work on the EU's climate policies, check out the Sustainable Prosperity for Europe program page on our website, www.epc.eu. Tune in next time. Until then, over and out.